We've all experienced a dramatic change in life due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's changed how we eat at home in a variety of ways. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Jess Haynes about some of the research they've done with families to document and understand some of these changes we've all experienced. My name is Mike Von Masso, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. Jess is a faculty member in Applied Nutrition and the co-director of the Guelph Family Health Study at the University of Guelph. She tells us a bit about the study and then provides some insight into what they found has changed with families since the pandemic began. It's fascinating to hear, and interesting, and a bit reassuring, frankly, that others are experiencing some of the same things we are. Food Focus is continuing to grow dramatically. We're gratified at the positive feedback, and thank you for listening. We welcome feedback and requests for topics. Go to our website, foodfocuswealth.com, to contact us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd love if you'd give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews help others find us. Thanks again. Now let's turn to my conversation with Jess. Hi, Jess, and thanks for taking the time to have a conversation today. Happy to be here. You and I have chatted before, but I'm excited today to get a chance to talk a little bit about your work with the Guelph Family Health Study and specifically on some work you've done since COVID started to see how families are adapting and adjusting and and coping. But before we do that, can you give us a little bit of context about what the Guelph Family Health Study is? You bet. So the Guelph Family Health Study is a study of families, uh, families with young children, uh, 18 months to five years, that we've recruited uh, who live in the Guelph area, and we are following them over time uh, for a few reasons. One is we want to know what are the early life factors that lead to disease later in life. And we want to know that information so we know sort of how best to support families to develop sort of the healthiest habits early in life so we can prevent some of those. Uh, chronic diseases later in life. And then the other thing we do within the Guelph Family Health Study is we test different strategies to help families develop uh, healthy behaviors. And so um, we hope that uh, with both of these sort of lines of research, we'll be able to inform and improve uh, family health among families with young children. So are they distinct groups? So the, the, the families that you're tracking over time to get the early indicators of uh, of long-term or chronic disease separate from the ones that you test interventions on? Or do you acknowledge that some of the levers you pull in the short run are additional factors in your analysis of the long-term impacts? So they're actually the uh, one group, um, just like you had described, of sort of, we have intervened on half of them. So we ha- we follow about uh, a little over 300 families, so about 310 families, and half of those folks have um, received an intervention that where we've tried to uh, help them establish healthy habits early in life, and the other half haven't. Uh, and so we can use those controls to tell us, you know, what would happen if we didn't intervene, and what are the factors that seem to predict disease and not. And then you're exactly right. By intervening early in life, we're hoping to continue to follow these families over time and see how did this early life intervention sort of influence behaviors now, but also as these children age and become school age, adolescent and beyond. Okay. And and so, and I ask because you and I have done some work with, with others on families as well on things like food waste and shopping habits. But those are often recruited separately from the study, right? They're still families or are those 
active participants in the in the family health study as well. Yeah, um, no, you're right. Um, between um, you and other collaborators, it's like we're trying to find every family in the Guelph area um, because that was a different <laughs> study. You're exactly right. It was the family food skills study. So we recruited uh, about 100 families, uh, again, with young children, because again, we're really interested in that early life phase. But in that study, as you described, we were really interested in knowing what are the things that sort of predict what families buy what the foods they buy, uh, what foods they eat of those ones that they buy. And of course, with your expertise, uh, what uh, do they also throw away? So um, that is a different group of families than the ones who um, we study here in the Guelph Family Health Study. So I just wanted to be clear. And, and like you say, you guys are talking to almost every family with young kids in, in Guelph who's willing, to, who's willing to talk to you. And that's really cool. COVID, the pandemic, has thrown a wrench in lots of different research projects. Uh, and in a long-term study like this, it's probably less, it's maybe a blip rather than a significant disruption. We have a small project on the side that's also with families that has been significantly disrupted. But, but it gave you the opportunity to sort of talk to people and say, what's different? What, what has changed? And you've got some interesting results from that. Yeah, you're exactly right. When this first hit, it did send a shock or a ripple through our research team of sort of what do we do now? Uh, so, for example, we normally have families come on campus and we do assessments with them here. And so we've had to really sort of pivot and think about, goodness, how do we change things? So we've changed some of the ways we do assessment. And then because we're doing an intervention, we also acknowledge that, as you described, COVID-19 has had a massive disruption into some of our normal routines as families. And we realized we need to measure that, partly because I think it's important to know what's happening to families and how can we support them. The longer this kind of physical distancing requirements, et cetera, happens, we need to think about how do we help families. But then the other important research question for us is we have this intervention. We're trying to test its impact. We're also going to need to know what did COVID-19 do? So over and above or different than the intervention, uh, what has COVID-19 done? So what we did was send out a survey to the 306 families that are participating in the Guelph Family Health Study and asked them to share with us what has changed since COVID-19. And we sent out the survey sort of mid-April to mid-May. We gave them four weeks to do the survey. And of the 306 families, 254 families actually took the time to do the survey, which is pretty impressive given all the challenges they had. So that was a response rate. About 83% of the families filled out the survey. And they did tell us that absolutely, um, as we expected, and as many of us who are researchers with, with children knew, uh, was that their lives were really um, quite disrupted. And so thinking about food, we wanted to know, you know, has your eating changed since COVID-19? And we asked parents about their own behaviors. So we had uh, 235 mothers fill out the survey and 126 fathers. So we asked them what's happened to your eating and also what's happened to their children's eating. So tell us a bit about what sort of what changed there. So over half of our sample actually told us, yes, uh, their eating had changed since COVID-19. So that was uh, 70% of mothers, 60% uh, of fathers, and parents reported that 51% of their children, their eating had changed. And so 
then we wanted to know, well, in what ways? So eating has changed, but what has happened? And the most commonly reported eating behavior change, they told us, is that they were eating more food in general. And then they also told us they were eating more snack foods. So snack foods like chips, cookies, that type of thing. And also the parents told us that they were eating fewer uh, foods from fast food or takeout, which would make sense given some of the uh, challenge about access for that. It's interesting to me that people said they're eating more food, I guess snacks and sort of grazing and, and less structure. And then you said they're also eating less fast food or they're eating out less. Do you think that perhaps people's perceptions of how much they eat changes with where they're eating? So they maybe underestimate how much they eat out. Uh, and so they're eating at home more. So it feels like they're eating more or that they are actually eating more volume. Uh, and another way of stating that question is all of us have seen our grocery bills go up, but the amount your grocery bill goes up depends, frankly, to it, at least in part to how much you were eating out, which we couldn't do anymore. So do you think that's real or I guess it's hard to tell? I think you're exactly right that some of what we report, of course, is our perception. Uh, we will, there'll be some ways we might be able to test this as we move forward in that we will get this was a fairly crude way of understanding, you know, how is your eating changed? We will do more detailed dietary assessments where people actually report what they've eaten over the past 24 hours. Uh, so we'll get a better sense of what they're, they're eating. And that is in the same way we asked the diet information before COVID-19. So we can do a more detailed assessment of that. Um, we also measure weight change in our participants. So that also could give us a clue as, is this perception of eating more versus actually eating more? And I think you're right. I think the analogy I was thinking about when I, because uh, I too felt like if I wasn't working, I was prepping or cleaning the kitchen. Yeah. Right. So somebody in my house was hungry and uh, <laughs> I was making a meal or a snack for somebody. And so I think it will be interesting to, to explore this further because I think you're right. It could be a bit of perception because absolutely when every morsel of food that goes in your body is coming right from your, directly from your kitchen, it certainly can feel like that it took more prep, that there was more of it. You're sort of witnessing, you know, um, certain food products dwindling in your fridge, etc. Whereas in our normal lives where, let's say, the data would suggest for some families up to 50% of their foods were, were prepared outside the home, all of that would feel very different, right? You didn't witness, you know, the filling up and the emptying of your crisper, for example, with all your vegetables, right? Because many of those you were getting uh, prepared outside the home. So I think you're right. Some of it could be perception. And, and the economics literature will say that we think about it differently, Right. We, we, ah. we have different bins for budget. Yep. And, and so if we see one one expenditure go up, we might perceive it differently, even though another expenditure has gone down, probably more than the grocery budget has gone up. Oh, how interesting. And I think you're right. I think because grocery shopping is something typically uh, you do as a family fairly regularly, you have a sense of what you're used to spending. And I think you're right. I can imagine that, or you probably heard it, and I certainly heard it, that lots of people said, I'm spending more at the grocery store. But you're right. It wasn't followed up with, but that's all right, because I'm definitely spending less at the takeout, you know, um, they definitely, it was more that uh, they, because it's something they do regular, they noticed a difference. And I would say that's the same in my house, but I was buying different things again, because normally 
let's say as a family, we would go have an ice cream cone on a Friday night, right? Um, and that would be part of our week and it was something we did. And now, of course, I was buying that same ice cream and putting it in my cart. And that's not an expense I was used to having. I think it's exacerbated by a couple of other factors. I think early in the COVID Many of us were buying more to stock up mm-hmm. when there was some uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so that might have felt like bigger. But, and I think many people are shopping much less frequently so that the, the ding on your credit card is bigger, even though you're doing it less frequently. So I think all of those might psychologically make us think we're spending more on food or that we're eating more. But I think that there is also probably some reality to the the fact that people perceive that they're eating more. Mm -hmm. And and certainly too, um, it felt a bit like vacation at the beginning, right? Um, I would say that is definitely worn off. It doesn't feel like that now. But (laughs) with vacation, there is that bit of, um, you know, sort of as opposed to your regular three routines, sort of foods around and you eat it. So the other pieces, are they actually eating more on a quantitative, like in total amount or just more frequently? And again, that's easier to do here at home versus if you're working in a place where um, you have to go somewhere else to get to grab your food. Yeah. And and perhaps there's some more indulgences too, right? Especially Mm -hmm. early in the process where Mm -hmm. we're trying to, like you said, it was a bit like a vacation and it was a bit novel at the start. Some of that novelty has, has worn off after a while, but that we might've been eating more special foods or treats Mm. or. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it was also a very stressful time that felt uncertain and, you know, if you could enjoy, you know, and sort of celebrate around some nice food, that's a nice way to sort of take away from some of that stress or, or you know, sort of focus on something else. So, yeah, I think you're right. There may be a, a slightly different, certainly early um Uh, a change in sort of the types of foods folks were buying for sure. And what's really exciting about this being a longitudinal study is we get to see, you know, which of these sort of stay long term, did these behaviors stick and which ones uh, were just sort of temporary and that uh, will resume back um, more to how we saw them pre-COVID. Yeah, that's interesting. So I interrupted you quite a while ago and and when you were talking about people eating more food, and I think you were going to tell us a little bit more about uh, about how people's the food behaviors changed. Yeah, for sure. Um, and happy for the interruptions. It's fun to to talk about why as opposed to just the numbers, for sure. Yeah. Um, so we also wanted to know about how meal routines were changing. And most families told us, so 60% of women and um, 50% of men told us yeah, that, in fact, their meal routines and their family had changed. Uh, the most commonly reported change with regards to their meal routine was that they were spending more time cooking. And again, we saw a gender different. Oh, about 70% of both mothers and fathers said that they were spending some more time cooking. And I would say I felt like just among people we chatted with, that was something we heard as well. We also heard that they were making more meals from scratch. So um, pr- making more complex meals than they were pre-COVID. And also um, involving their children more in meal preparation. So um, about half of both mothers and fathers said that they had increased the amount of uh, engagement they did with their kids kids uh, around meal preparation. So although some of the changes they said to their eating might not be as healthful, uh, eating more food and eating more snack foods, it certainly 
these changes to some of their meal routines would be the kind of thing we recommend, right? That we know yeah, that exactly, folks, yeah. yeah, we know that folks who, uh, if you prep your meal uh, at home, you typically eat a healthier meal. Uh, kids are often more likely to eat the foods if they've had a part in the meal preparation. So this is, um, you know, the kind of stuff that we've often worked with families to try and advocate and uh, change. And time has usually been the limiting factor. And COVID nineteen gave families more time at home to do some of these things. Yeah, it's interesting because I think uh, an, another of your findings is that that people felt some stress around balancing all the roles at home, continuing to work, being active in playing a role in the education with the schools shut down, having to work, cleaning up, keeping children entertained. You hear that and then it's quite heartening to hear, well, we did also spend more time uh, preparing meals and cooking and doing it with the children so they learn some skills. So there's some trade-offs there. Absolutely. And I think I think those are very intertwined. I think the stress is real for families and trying to balance oh, all those real, absolutely is 100% real. And I, I don't want to sugarcoat like, and now they're all cooking and it's wonderful. But I think what's happening truthfully is that tension of trying to still balance all those things exists. And you have, you know, your sweet children staring at you who, who need an activity to do. Uh, and so I think what it might be is just sort of by virtue of they need to stay active, you have a bit more time, even though you would love to be getting through a lot of your work <laughs> uh, that's sitting on your desk. What you have to do is keep your kids entertained. And so they might be choosing food as a way to, you know, get kids engaged, give them an activity to do that's sort of regular and something they can be a part of. Um, I had heard from a few folks that they had sort of incorporated that in into their child's schedule because they, again, were trying to keep their children occupied. Uh, and so meal prep whereas it hadn't been part of their kids' routine before, had, had sort of entered in as, um, you know, well, what else are you going to do at five <laughs> o'clock when they're staring at you, you know? And there was also concern that, that screen time had already increased dramatically. This might be another way of getting them away from the PlayStation or the TV or the computer uh, and, and doing something as a family. So it might also be playing a role in mitigating some of that stress. I think you might be right. Yeah, 87% of parents said their kids had increased their screen time. And that has definitely happened in our house. It's um, something that I, I, for our family, I can't imagine that we can also get our work done and have had our kids, you know, sort of underfoot at all points, you know, and so unfortunately that was sort of one of the realities. And I think you're right. We did hear from families that they were concerned about that and looking for uh, resources and strategies to help reduce the amount of screen time. And I think you're exactly right. Cooking uh, for families who felt, um, who were able to do that and engage their kid would be one thing that would keep them off screen, at least for that time. Yeah. And it's fun. It's a family activity. I think, uh, I mean, you said, we had less opportunity to do exercise. I think one of your findings was that, that people have decreased their physical activity. There's less organized people who go to the gym, that that's not available. It's interesting to me, I have lots of opportunity here at home to get more exercise, but sort of the habitual exercise, playing hockey or going to the gym has disappeared a little bit. And so mm -hmm. finding ways to reduce that stress becomes important. Oh, absolutely. And um, it, it's tough. Families with young kids, right? Parks have been closed. The places where they used to know their kids could go and be active um, have been taken away. And you're exactly right. Um, parents, just like you, described the fact that uh, for their kids and for themselves, the fact that there was no longer organized sport made it 
definitely more difficult to particularly get that high intensity activity. And you're so right, which is critical for some of that stress relief. And so, yeah, it was a bit of a, a, a challenging, it, it is a challenging time as it's high stress, the opportunities that they we had to be active and move our bodies. And again, in a uh, often in a organized way with friends and all of that, yeah, has really made it so trying to find activities that families can enjoy together is important. And, and it does, our data does look like that um, one of the things families did was cook. So there are some positive outcomes. Yeah. Now, I'm conscious of time and how long I promised I'd keep you. The number one resource people requested was support with meal planning and grocery shopping. Did that surprise you? Um, not terribly. Um, only because I think for many of us, it was one of the things that we were used to doing. And many families had found a way to sort of, as needed, you went out and got the stuff you needed. And to be so restricted... I found it, it's interesting, I love to cook, I actually enjoy grocery shopping, I'm the one in my family who does it anyway. I found it surprisingly stressful, and I found it stressful in a few ways. So one was certainly that I could only go once a week, and I, I'm actually a pretty much a once a weeker person anyway, but it, I found it really, so while I was there, I found it anxiety-inducing to make sure I got everything my family needed. Of course, the experience of going to the grocery store was stressful, because now there was rules of what, where to stand and how to give people space in that space. And then I think, too, for many of our families, what they told us is that they had never really meal planned in a way that made once-a-week grocery shopping very feasible for them. So I think for folks who had gotten very used to just stopping and grabbing something on the way home from work, and uh, for folks, let's say, uh, who half of their meals would have been takeout, that's a substantial change now to think about how do I think of seven meals evening meals, plus kids and families' lunches, you know. And so I think because it was such a substantial shift in our food access for that time, I think for um, for many families, they did say, I need some supports here. Like, what does meal plan, like, what are your tips for meal planning? How do I do that well and effectively? And what are your tips for grocery shopping in this time where um, we do have these restrictions? Again, because it was it was a fairly substantial shift in how we were able to do it. So you and your team have created some resources to support this, haven't you? Yeah, so we are just sending them out now, actually. So we just got, uh, we have a fantastic group of students who um, we had hired actually before COVID-19. We're excited to have them, of course, in our office, in our spaces, working together. We're not able to do that. So socially dis or physically distanced, we are, they went to work to create these resources based on what families recommended. So they wanted some around meal planning or grocery shopping. Uh, they wanted some help about activities that they could do instead of um, screen time with their kids. So we have a fabulous bingo card that families can do, as well as some about around stress management. And so our students have made fabulous uh, evidence-based resources that uh, we are mailing out to all the families who did the surveys, but they will also be available uh, for free on our website. So that'll be, our website is www guelphfamilyhealthstudy.com. So families who are looking can access them there. Um, and then we also built on some of the resources we had actually already developed for families. Um, this is something families had asked for uh, in the past around uh, cookbooks and recipes and family-friendly recipes that um, they can make easily with their families. So we have created cookbooks. We have five cookbooks um, that are also free on our website. So if families are looking for simple recipes, um, 
um, as well as some tips around meal planning, particularly a cookbook that you were involved in, Mike, the Rock What You Got cookbook, which helps families think about strategies and tips for reducing food waste as well as improving their dietary intake. That cookbook in particular has some great resources around meal planning, so families can find those there as well. Well, that's great. And uh, I think I've taken the time that I promised you I would take. So I appreciate you. I think it's really interesting that that we have this sort of instantaneous feedback and get some understanding of how the changes brought about by the pandemic are affecting families. And for me, it's, you know, while my kids aren't young anymore, it's, it's sort of heartening to hear that lots of people are feeling the same same way as I am. One of the things I'm really noticing as my social interactions are much more limited is that I don't get sort of those those empathetic moments where people say well you're struggling well everyone's struggling with that and and so it's good to hear I think it's it's good to hear that lots of people are feeling the same things that I am. The consistency in the reports from our families does definitely suggest that many are struggling in the same way I agree with you. Mm-hmm. The last thing I'll say is, but it's also a little bit heartening to see that there are some things that we would be, we would consider positive and and hopefully uh, as we emerge to whatever normal looks like uh, in the coming months and in the coming year and, 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 and going forward that some of these things like meal prep and eating as a family will stick and it'll be really interesting to have a conversation with you again in a year from now to hear the degree to which some of those uh, those habits formed uh, during COVID stuck. So thanks very much for taking the time and uh, be well and be safe. Uh, thanks and you too. As we wrap up this episode, I just wanted to take a minute to uh, say thanks to Max Graham for making us sound great. Uh, we get to have the interesting conversations and Max does the hard work of, of cleaning it up. Quick thanks to Zach Von Massow for the original music that we use uh, to transition. I also wanted to take a minute to remind you of uh, the foodfocusguelph.ca website. You go check out our blog, which gets updated at least once weekly with issues uh, related to food, just like the podcast, and gives you a place that you can get a hold of us as well. If you want to make suggestions for episodes of the podcast, you have questions, uh, we're open to any of it. And one more reminder that uh, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, submitting a review wherever you get your podcast helps others find us as well. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it uh, and stay in touch.